There's no business like show business, like no business I know. It's a hard knock life for us. It's a hard knock life for us. From the beautifully restored Brownwood Lyric Theater in revitalized downtown Brownwood, it's waxing lyrically. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! The podcast devoted to and hosted by our own Lyric Theater players. Now here's your host for tonight's show, Paul Underwood. Hello and welcome to Waxing Lyrically. This is our fourth edition. This is your host for tonight is Paul Underwood. I did kind of relinquish control for our last show and gave it to my wife and Karen Myers. I hope you enjoyed that show. It was just kind of like some good friends just sitting in over coffee and talking about the lyric, which was uh, pretty cool, I thought. But I'm back in the uh, producer, director, host seat today. And whenever I decided to do this show, Waxing Lyrically, all about the lyric theater, one couple immediately came to mind, and that is Chris and Jimmy Henry. Welcome to the fourth episode of Waxing Lyrically. Well, thank you, Paul. We really appreciate um, being able to have a chance to do something like this. And Jimmy, I know you've prepared an opening statement over there, so... <laughs> Thanks for having us. <laughs> there you go. Oh, there's Jimmy's opening statement. I tell you, there was a little bit of coercion from Chris to try to get Jimmy here? He really likes to be backstage, behind the scenes. Nobody has any idea all the things he does, and he loves it that he, way. He just likes Now, Jimmy, you were saying even when, like, Carl Wayne comes from the radio station to do a broadcast, right. uh, and you and Randy are up there um, working on sets. Yeah, by the time he starts out, he says, don't y'all want to stay, and we're out the back door before he can stop <laughs> us. Because neither one of, one of us are... Up front stage, we're back, backstage. I got gotcha. you. And the concession we finally had to make to get Jimmy here, he was like, honey, I'm not doing, I don't know if he calls you honey. Does he call you honey? He doesn't. Oh, what does he call you? <laughs> <laughs> Better not say it. No. <laughs> anyway. It's very romantic. Okay. Um, All right. Um, we'll leave it at that. Yeah. We'll leave it at that. But the concession <laughs> that we had to make to get Jimmy Henry here was he did not want to do the dramatic reading. No, he's um, no, he doesn't like to have a script in his hand. Okay, there you go. Well, and we're going to get into this a lot, is we need people like Jimmy Henry to make the lyric work. Very much so. We need more. Um, definitely. definitely. Like I said, there's you would be amazed at all the things that he makes happen, um, that nobody has any idea that it was even a problem, and yet he's, he's solved it. Can we get him to brag on some of those here in a little bit? Just maybe. Maybe he's got a few stories he can tell you. If I can figure out what she's talking about, sure. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. How has the association with the lyric enriched your marriage? It's been interesting because in some ways I got involved with theater so that I would develop my own group of friends uh, because... um, 
When I moved to Brownwood, Jimmy had already been here a good 25 years. And so I walked into a whole slew of friends from a very uh, diverse areas. And so I wanted my own, I, I wanted some of my own friends. Yes. Uh, not friends by default. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, so I got involved with the lyric actually because of Judy Reed. Oh, okay. um, Judy Reed actually was our organist and choir director at St. John's uh, Anglican Church. And I had told her that I wanted to develop some of my own friends. And so she suggested that I sing with the community choir and do the annual Messiah. Mm -hmm. um, that it was, you know, only a couple of practices yes. and a free performance right. and a great place just to meet a wide variety of people that could sing. Yeah, my <laughs> wife and I did that a couple of times. You I don't know. know if it was the same show that you were in, but we've done that too. And I was like, but I can't sing. And she was like, oh, yes, you can, and you will. <laughs> you know, in an ever-so-sweet way that, that Judy says things like that. And so um, I did that in um, December of uh, 2012. Sure enough, as spring came along, Nancy Joe was starting to put out the word that there'd be auditions for the next summer musical. And, of course, I was on the mailing list. And again, thanks to Judy Reed, um, she said, I'll help you prepare an audition song and you need to go audition, um, which I did. Right. So. So you got involved first. I wasn't real sure how that worked. Mm -hmm. So Jimmy came along a little bit later. Was that just because you were missing your wife so much, Jimmy? You just. Uh... Well, I'd done some theater earlier uh, in my life. And then uh, Austin had recruited me. To build the set for early high school. Okay, Austin Bynum. The first year that they did it at the Lyric, because they lost some of their early early uh, school district maintenance staff building sets for them. Was that Scrooge? That was, that was Scrooge, your first show yeah. in two thousand four. Right, okay. Right. Um, and then I had kind of told them I'd do others. Somebody just called me, let me know, and then didn't get a call. You know, nothing happened. Finally. I think it was Love Rides the Rails. I showed yeah. up on a general work day yeah. and got a little bit involved. And then it hit when we did it at Beverly Hillbillies. <laughs> <laughs> it's been going ever since. <laughs> so has it enriched your marriage now that you've kind of got this thing to do together? I mean, there's... Well, yes and no. I mean, in some ways, it, it's a common mm -hmm. um, endeavor. Gives you something to talk about in the evenings. Yeah, except that during the day, he goes and works on set. Right. And then in the evenings, I'm there for rehearsal. I didn't really think of it that so, way, so it kind of keeps you <laughs> apart a little bit, It, it, it? does, yeah. um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah. And yeah. then, of course, I come home from rehearsal and tell him all the list of things that are not quite working with the set or we need to be sure and get fixed or move or whatever. Yes. And, um, and then he goes back the next day with his marching orders. And then <laughs> actually before rehearsal, he confers with me and tells me all the things that has been, have been fixed or how they problem solved it and to make sure and communicate that with the actors. So it does work well as far as there is a little bit of that synergy that goes on there, which is yeah. kind of cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice thing to have in common that, you know, we're working together for one cause. All right. I think we've established that Jimmy helps with the sets, builds the sets, and does fantastic work. Uh, and we'll get to that. Uh, but I don't think we've let our listeners know that maybe don't know Chris Henry. Kind of your major duty, and we'll get into the nuts and bolts in a little bit, is you've been stage manager for... 12 productions. I counted them up. Maybe you didn't count them, but I've, I've counted them up. So uh, 
Chris is our stage manager, and Jimmy helps with uh, building the sets. Let's go all the way back now. Was the stage important in your high school uh, days or college days? Kind of catch me up on that. It actually um, was something that I was interested in high school. Um, I have a two older sisters, and my oldest sister was in the choir and therefore in some of the music, musicals. And so we went to their productions, and they were good enough that my parents, even through my middle sister going to high school, would still go to the productions even though she wasn't involved. And so when I got to the same high school, they kind of expected me to, um, you know, to at least look into that. And I believe the first year when I was a sophomore, um, I believe I was in the orchestra um, playing okay. and for the musical. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next year, my junior year, I did audition and we did The King and I. Okay. And for The King and I, I ended up being Lewis, um, which is Anna's son. Oh, okay. Uh, because I was the only high schooler <laughs> that they could play off as um, a preteen boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, it was really great. Um, Do you remember any lines you had, Chris? I don't remember any lines. The one thing I really remember is that, you know, it was high school, so we had three performances. And on the last performance, when I went up to um, take my bow, I had a very short boy's wig, and, <laughs> and my hair at that point was mid-back. Oh, wow. And so I went up, and I bowed, and when I came up, I... Um, took off my my hat and wig all in one fail swoop and let my hair just fall to my shoulders. And there was an audible gasp in this. And there was an audible (laughs) gasp. And my parents were sitting in the front of the, or in the middle of the audience. And afterwards they said that the whole audience collectively gasped, it's a girl. (laughs) Um, because having a, a name like Chris, uh, yeah. it's it's non-gender specific. There you go. So, so um, they really bought that. A lot of them did. Yes. Okay. Um, it was very satisfying. That's, that's cool. <laughs> so, um, and then my senior year, we did Guys and Dolls, and I was on in the ensemble. And yeah. so, okay. so you were active in it in high school. Had, I was. Had a little interest there. Um, then I got to college, and I Oklahoma had Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State. Okay. Yes, yeah. I went to get an education, not a football team. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes me the perfect tech because I like all Texas teams as long as they beat OU. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> um, and there's just a little bit of bedlam in my family, by the way, if you can't tell. Um, but um, I had an interest, but I was too scared to audition. Yeah. And so I just let that um, interest kind of take a, a natural hiatus. Did you ever imagine getting back into it or was that just something you were going to leave? I didn't, I didn't ever imagine getting back into it. Um, but again, between, um, Judy Reed and Nancy Jo Humfeld, um, they were like, no, you, you ought to at least audition. Why not? Isn't that great? So, yeah. All right, Jimmy, you've been pretty silent over there. I'm sure you were very active on stage <laughs> in your high school. Just give me a little bit about uh, your high school, uh, your, your growing up, and the interest that you might have had in high school. Well, Where'd you go to high school? Uh, I, well, I graduated from Sulphur Springs High School over in East Texas. I was not involved at all in any kind of arts. Okay. Program. I was in a work, pro- work study program. Okay. So all right. That's what I did. So you went to work, uh, went to work after school? Went to work to make money. Right. You, you, what was your first job? I worked at Radio Shack installing radios in cars and stuff like that. Cool. My family had always been interested in theater, you know, going to plays. And okay. All. And so then, you did enjoy that. Oh, yeah. And my okay. oldest brother went to school 
as theater tech major and ended up in a career working in theater, stage managing and all in yeah. professional theaters. Okay. So you did have an appreciation for it. Because I can tell yeah. you a lot of high school guys are like, ah, theater, you know. Right. And, and then they throw out a derogatory term or whatever, you know, for it. So that wasn't you. You always no, kind of no. had an appreciation right. for it, but just never really got into it. I didn't have time. It. I was more interested in making money. So yeah. Heck yeah. Know. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the marriage story and the meeting, the Chris meets Jimmy story now. Well, I. The short version, Jimmy said. (laughs) We actually met at a church camp in Oklahoma called St. Crispin's. He was there on permanent staff as maintenance, and I was a camper. Um, And at the age of, I was 14. Yeah. And um, we just had a connection. Um, Scandalous. Uh, of course. <laughs> Jimmy's, <laughs> well, Jimmy's shaking his head. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that at the time, being, being innocent. Um, and we just uh, created a friendship that, um, you know, we just lasted through the years. We would um, just you know, keep in touch when it was important, but, um, there would be definitely times where, um, maybe it was years, uh, when we didn't, we didn't necessarily talk, but we always knew that the other one was, was available. Um, should there come, come a need, we just always kept in touch. Yeah. And so, and then you just got married and the rest is history, right? (laughs) Right. Well, (laughs) two things happened that, um, kind of, brought us together. One of them was both of our, both of our mothers were not doing very well health wise. Mm, And, um, he, Jimmy was at a point where he just needed to talk to somebody who wasn't a family member, um, about what he was having to deal with. And, um, and my mother was in a, had similar health issues. And so, um, that was good. I was also in the process of putting together a reunion, um, for summer camp people who attended in the early eighties. Oh, wow. And so I needed somebody who, um, had gone to the camp to, you know, kind of help mold what we were going to do for a weekend together. Right. Um, because most of those people had not seen each other for 20, 30 years. Mm. So that's kind of what started the friendship and, um, or restarted it or restarted it. Yeah. Mm. Um, you know, for the umpteenth Jillian time. And um, so then you two just got married to right? each other. We did. There, there was one funny part she left out is I was actually in her first wedding. I just had the wrong part in that wedding. <laughs> That's what I was trying to get to. Oh. Yes. He, well, he was, yes. Um, in my first marriage, he was the best man. And um. he was just standing in the wrong place. <laughs> and, um, you know, if the guy who marries you has heard the other side of the story through a divorce, mm. you know he must love you. Yeah. Because yeah. he has definitely heard and seen the worst of the worst of me. And um, after all those years, um, still asked me to marry him, yeah. believe it or not. That's amazing. You 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 really? married your best man. I did, because he is the best man. All right. Well, there you go. <laughs> and we still communicate with my first husband on a rare basis, but we've come full circle. In fact, at the last camp reunion a couple of years ago, there were a couple of times that he took me aside and was just like, oh, you guys are so cute. You so belong together. And I was just like, this is really weird. <laughs> but... um. 
not that we needed his blessing, but it was it was nice that we've come full circle and are and can all be friends. All right, now let's get to the theater stuff. Okay. That's why we're here, right? To talk about the Lyric Theater. Of course. Okay. I'd mentioned that you've been stage manager for 12 productions. I've counted them. And there's other things you've done on the Lyric, too. I have prepared just a little clip I found off of YouTube. And this is a young man, actually. I think he's probably in L.A. And he is a stage manager for kind of, you know, the, the professional mm-hmm. shows there. And uh, But I thought it was still kind of apropos. So I'm going to play this, and then we're going to kind of go off that, Chris. The stage manager is strictly there to facilitate, supervise, and to make other people's visions come true. You're making sure that the play is happening when it's supposed to be happening, that everyone that's involved with the show and the play knows what they're doing. So in pre-production, the stage manager's job a lot of times is just pumping out a lot of paperwork. Making schedules, uh, printing out the schedule, uh, the script, scene breakdowns. Places? So basically you kind of play the parent and you just make sure everyone's doing the right job. It's your job then to make sure that the director's vision is being maintained. In college I discovered stage management and I kind of just fell into it. I like things to be in their row. Everything has its place in my apartment in my life and I'm always on time. You know, I'm just kind of, I guess I'm that type. I'm that person. All right, Chris Henry, are you that person? Do you, does everything have to have its place? Because, you know, you have to do that as a stage manager. Actually, in my personal life, not so much. Really? <laughs> really. Um, I mean, I, I am a good organizer, and um, I definitely, um, you know, if you give me the vision, I'll make it happen right. one way or another. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't say that I'm the most organized per. I, I don't have to... Um, have everything in their place. Um, I, I'm not a neat Nick by any means. Um, it's only been in recent years that I've been able to be on time consistently. Mm-hmm. Um, I was always habitually about five or 10 minutes late. Really? Um, yeah, uh, bad habits. But anyway, when I stage manage, I end up having a persona that is um, a little kind of like the actors do yeah. on stage. Um, you know, they're um, fulfilling a persona that they need to fill as their character in the script. And I think stage manage for me is kind of the same way. Um, I'm there to fulfill a, a vision and a, and a need. And so, um, so I take on this persona yeah. um, to, to accomplish that. Interesting. When you were asked to be stage manager, did you kind of do what I did in preparation for this? Did you Google, you know, jobs of a stage manager or anything? I didn't, actually. (laughs) Um, I actually never thought about being um, on the technical side of it um, until I had been involved in a couple of things with Austin Bynum um, with Love Rides, well, actually before Love Rides the Rails. In 2016, right? That was Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I had been involved in two of early high school's musicals uh, and and watched... um, um, Judy Reed and Austin Bynum do the production from the very beginning. I mean, to to see the vision, see the set being built, see the lighting, see the sounds, see the, you know, working with
with the kids on um, where they needed to be and where their places were and, and developing their characters and everything. And, and as a part of that, I watched Austin in particular train high school students on the different aspects that a stage manager needs to do. Yeah. And then I got cast in Love Rides the Rails and I was a saloon girl and definitely an extra. I had, you know, maybe a total of six minutes on stage between two or three scenes. Right. And I watched as we got into early rehearsals, um, I watched Austin really struggling with being stage manager and director um, all together. And so I went to him after several rehearsals and said, you know, I've watched you train a high school student. I know I'm trainable and you've got to have some help. Yeah. yeah. So how about if Austin you... is amazing, but you know, yeah. you saw where he had kind of hit his limit. Yeah. 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 And so he, he said, Oh, would you, you know, would you mind doing that? And I said, well, I think my part is small enough as an extra that I can easily stage manage. So he trained me to do that, and it ended up being a, a successful production, and I really didn't get back involved um, until South Pacific, mm-hmm. uh, which was the summer musical for the lyric. Right. And I ended up helping Lori Arp with costumes and just organizing for her. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that I actually costumed or sewed anything or I just would help her make decisions and then organize everything and get it in the dressing rooms and and so on and so forth so that she could be the creative person and actually, you know, sew and um, and put you know, different tops with different bottoms and get it all together and, you know, and, and be the creative seamstress rather than, um, the organizer who actually gets it on the people. From there, I had an opportunity to be a stage manager, uh, for Larry Mathis. That was in Shut and Bar the Door, uh, which we ended up actually creating a character that was not written in the script named Stage Manager mm. um, for that production, although I was the stage manager. Wow. Uh, because the uh, that particular one-act play has multiple things that occur as far as tech goes, like making thunder um, and, and some things like that, and... Um, Larry and the cast, I'm not sure who, we just kind of collectively said, why does that need to happen off stage? Let's have it on stage. Yeah. Um, and I think that was partly because they really did want me to follow the script and prompt them with lines if I had to. Gotcha. So now I didn't have to, but um, as it turned out, but it ended up being um, some comic relief that that show, um, that enhanced that show. And then we got to Oliver And with Oliver, I was not originally the stage manager. I actually ended up stepping in about two weeks before the production got on stage. Wow. uh, Because the stage manager um, unfortunately had some health concerns and some other things going on and had to step down. So this was your first really big, large cast deal. It was. With a lot of kids. Lots of kids. And probably the bigger thing is that we had... um, quite a few flats going up and down on the fly system. In fact, there was one flat that uh, was near the back that I basically had to put down blind Mm. because I had to put it down in the dark and it was black. So I'm thinking that that was probably the show that really tested you, the first show. It did. Yeah. Um, Um, Because I had to step in and organize things in a way that, 
I could get like a parent, yeah. the, all the kids, including the ones mm. over 18, um, in their places at the right time, yeah. you know, and, um, uh, certainly cats have heard me say, I, I'm good at hurting cats mm. and, and I am. We might mention that the stage manager does get paid a little bit for, for being in Lyric Productions, um, and rightfully so, because somebody has to be in charge well, not just that, but um, at least in, in my opinion, the stage manager is the first one to show up Yes. to make sure the door's unlocked and that things are ready to go and in place for the actors, and then they're the last one to leave. For a production like that, a large production, especially where you've got kids involved, I can't see how anybody would do that in... Um it's nice that I get a little remuneration for it, yeah. but that's that's really not why I exactly do it. exactly um, because um, frankly it it doesn't um, really cover the the time and no. and, and anxiety <laughs> that I have, but um, to to make it to pull it all off. How difficult and different is it for a stage manager that has to sometimes kind of put their foot down, has to round people up that are there also volunteering their time. Um, it's, it's an interesting thing. In fact, um, most productions early on, I apologize to the cast mm -hmm. ahead of time yeah. that there's going to be moments that I'm going to get stern or I'm going to say something they don't want to hear. And I need them at that moment to just recognize and respect my authority. And, um, if it needs to be handled different the next time, they can just come talk to me personally later and that it's not personal. It's to get the job done. Mm -hmm. Who's, so. who's worse, the adults or the kids? Mm. <laughs> as far as wrangling those cats. Well, every show has a diva. <laughs> um, and that's actually probably one of the more interesting parts of my job is trying to figure out who that's going to be. Yeah. Um, because it can be more than one person. But And, and what is the best way to handle them? Um, I'm going to kind of jump ahead um, because I was a main character in Nun Since Jamboree. Mm -hmm. um, the, the last shoe, show we did. The on last the show we stage. do on the stage. Yes. And um, man, the shoe was definitely on the other foot. I was the one who had to be responsible to the stage manager. I'm the one who, you know, I'm one of the characters who had to, you know, be in place when I was told. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> and I also realized that, um, and I already knew that most actors have kind of their own routine right before the show starts. Um, and I had my own little quirks that I developed as a part of that, to be ready to step out on that stage and, and seeing an act. Mm. Um, and it was usually involved me standing in the alley, um, actually singing one of my songs, um, my solo, yeah. uh, making sure that I remembered all the words with my script in hand and, you know, just total panic. Um, and, and luckily it, it, it worked. I, I got through all the performances without too, too many, um, mishaps, but, um, I definitely have a, a better appreciation for my actors and actresses who either need a few minutes or they need to disappear or they need to sing at the top of their lungs or mm -hmm. they uh, need to go grab a bite to eat or a drink of water or put another, um, you know, lemon drop in their mouth or right. whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um, and that some of those you just need to gently uh, let them know that the show is coming. <laughs> and some of those you need to leave alone because they need that couple of minutes to center themselves.
So I figured out one of your gifts is probably perception, just being able to read what's going on because mm -hmm. that's how you were able to kind of see that Austin was struggling there and needed some help. Uh, you were able to go in there and uh, and work with Lori Arp on the costuming, and uh, you've used that to uh, as a stage manager because just like a football coach, you can't really treat everybody the same because everybody's a little different. That's right. In fact, actually, um, what I take – pride in is that I anticipate things. Yeah. I try to be prepared before it actually happens. Yeah. I want to get into some more interesting discussions mm -hmm. on stage managing, sure. but Jimmy, you've been pretty silent over there. I know you're just itching to, to talk. <laughs> so let's talk about your set building, which is uh, amazing. And probably the first one, Beverly Hillbillies, was that probably the first one that you really worked hard on? Because that set was amazing. That was the first big one I did for actually for the lyric. Uh, like I said earlier, we'd previously done Scrooge for early high school on the lyric stage. Mm -hmm. um, but Beverly Hillbillies, I stepped in, and they had a pretty good start on it. Uh, but we went a long way, and that was an, that was an amazing set. Yeah. Randy Harkey is, is just incredible. Talk about Randy a little bit and just your friendship with Randy. Uh, well, I've, we've, we've become very close through our work at the Lyric. Um, he's amazing. He's a, a retired shop teacher, wood mm. shop teacher. Yeah. So he's got incredible skills, tools, knowledge and that I didn't have. I'm, I'm starting to pick up a fraction of what it, he has and, and uh, have learned so much from him. But we can get creative together. We can look at each other and say, that won't work. You can't do that. Or, hey, let's try this instead. And uh, so we're really good at bouncing ideas and, and off of each other and uh, usually turn out a pretty good product at the end. Give me a, um, a sales pitch on trying to get somebody down there to help with the sets. Um, what would they need to do? It's a, a variety of, of tasks that always need doing. We have uh, carpentry construction, uh, uh, painting, some wiring goes on, uh, figuring out how to fly things in, uh, just you know, variety of stuff. You've never skirted the, uh, the electrician rules by wiring. Oh, no, no, no. Never. <laughs> I wouldn't think of doing anything like that. There you go. Ah, that's a very diplomatic answer there, Jimmy. Um, okay, Beverly Hillbillies, talk about... Uh, some other sets that you were uh, particularly proud of, maybe. Well, Odd Couple was a was a oh wonderful set. We had so much fun with that. <laughs> it was fun. Larry was the director, Larry Mathis, and he is such a dreamer mm -hmm. when it comes to a set and has vision. And he comes in and this is what I want. And Randy and I get on there and start looking and say, no, it's not what you really want. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, and tell him what we can and can't do. And then he... You know, once we get started and get his vision, he lets us go with it. And that one was one we got were able to get creative on our own. That was so fun. much fun. I, I was in that show, and the whole show takes place, of course, in uh, Felix and Oscar's apartment. And it was just a joy for us to come in as actors every afternoon, and we would see different things added to the set, you know. And uh, that was really cool. Gilligan's Island, which was kind of a, a just a silly play, but it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, Probably one of our most amazing technical feats was the the uh, spaceship, and that was a Randy Harkey thing. <laughs> Again, I was just following his direction, but uh, we were able to make that work and and move the way we wanted it to move, and smoke and light and everything, and it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, that Gilligan's Island second act really turned. Didn't it? <laughs> <laughs> and I got to fly the spaceship in and out. Oh it boy! Was great. <laughs> um, 
and a few good men was a pretty elaborate set it as well. Was. You talk about building that courtroom right. and that huge, that large American flag. Yeah, we had uh, to make some changes without being able to really make changes for that set because it doesn't start out in the courtroom, but those pieces were so big we couldn't really move them in and out very easily. So right. we just had to disguise them and change them up a little bit. And the difficulty in that show was how do you stage a courtroom? Right. You know, right. because, okay, if you do it with the with the judge facing forward, then everything's presented to the judge. Exactly. And so the whole deal was like, and I was trying to figure out, well, there's got to be a better way to do that. And there, there really isn't. You thought, well, could you do it from the side? And no, that wouldn't work. Well, we went so. back and forth on that for a long time before we just finally settled the judge was going to face the audience and the actors are going to have to make it work. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and we had some great actors in, oh, that, was a, in that. That was a great show too. Yeah. And then, and before even at the beginning, we had to have Gitmo as, as the backdrop and not a courtroom or anything yes, else. So yeah. that was interesting. All right, Chris, one of my favorite things to do, especially during odd couple is you noticed I would kind of go and I would stand behind you because my wife would be acting in probably one of the funniest scenes that's ever been on the lyric stage with the uh, the Cuckoo Sisters or whatever mm-hmm. they are and, mm-hmm. and Felix and Oscar. I would always kind of camp out there, and so I was watching that, but also I was kind of watching and, and listening to you. You've got your headset on. You're communicating with the the lighting people in the back there. Just explain a little bit about what you do during the show. Well, it usually starts with me um, letting the cast know that it's, you know, five minutes before show, two minutes before show, places we're going. Oh, wait, Eric's still talking. We're going to wait a few more minutes. (laughs) Uh, Oh, wait, here here we go, curtain. Let's hope everything's in place, including all the props, uh, the music and lights and sound and everything are all going to go without a hitch, and, and suddenly the curtain goes up. And then through the production, I'm basically coordinating between the actors and lights and sound and the director's vision to make it all happen. You know, it means that suddenly if something breaks on stage, you got to make sure that the actors can work through that or that it that, that prop is fixed by the, you know, at, during intermission or well, Let's whatever. talk about some train wreck so, moments that you've been stage manager on. Anything um, come to mind? Well, in Odd Couple, um, towards the end, um, Oscar throws me a plate of spaghetti <laughs> And, oh, well, actually throws it into the kitchen door, and what the audience doesn't see is that I'm catching it. You've got this pillow and, or whatever uh, there, don't no, you? No, I just did it with my hands. Oh, okay. And I managed to only get um, spaghetti on me once or twice, not too much, <laughs> uh, and not drop the plate, although it was um, a c- little bit iffy a couple of times. Um, and actually, one there was one moment in um, Odd Couple, they were going along with the dialogue, and, and I follow it in the script as we go. And I realized that they've skipped a whole section. I'm, we're talking three or four pages of dialogue. Oh, no. And it was seamless. But all of a sudden, I'm flipping through my book, and I'm listening to lights and sound going, uh-oh, they're off script. Where are we? What page? Where are we? Oh, no, oh okay, we're on this page. And anyway, we get through that part, and I realize that Ben Cox, the lead actor, is getting ready to pick back up 
on the dialogue that he actually just said about five minutes ago. Oh, no. And I'm like, oh, no, I can't let him get into the same. I mean, they've already done the dialogue. Um, so I made the phone ring. <laughs> and um, so <laughs> to get him back on track. Ring and, the phone, ring the phone. Yeah, because you had to call that yes, out. Yes, I did. did. Yeah. That's right. And, um, it's and, not like you dialed the number. Yeah, no. <laughs> and, and so I'm, I'm, I, I told Sound to do the phone and... Um, you know, everybody on stage kind of perks up like the phone doesn't ring here. <laughs> um, and Ben Cox kind of shifts over just enough to give me an eye on the side of the stage about what are you doing? That's not supposed to be here. Yeah. And I'm like, it's okay. And I, I'm sure he probably couldn't see me, right. but anyway, and then all of a sudden it dawns on him that we were getting ready to repeat the scene we had just done. And so he, um, he gets up and walks across and answers the phone and goes on to the next section in the script. And after they finished the scene and, and we got to the intermission, he came off the stage first thing and was just like, you saved us. <laughs> oh my gosh. I didn't know why you made the phone ring, but if you had not rung the phone, yeah. we would have done the scene twice oh. in succession you saved us um and i was like yep i know what i'm doing uh, now that's only because i'd had several minutes to think about it and get past the crisis wow that is that is the stage so. manager at work i can tell you i was in that show and neil simon's writing is brilliant but that was such a difficult show to act in that really challenged you know you know me i'm a i'm a rookie amongst my heroes up there for the most part but that show was so challenging to make it conversational. Mm -hmm. And there's just these rapid fire lines. We're all sitting around playing poker and it was so easy to get thrown off track on that thing. Very much so. Um, which meant that I really had to pay attention to the script. And if we ever get around to doing rumors and other Neil Simon play, I have a feeling it's going to be the same way. So it's just, it's, it's just amazing. There's that conversational plays like that or, or it is because um what the audience doesn't really appreciate until you see it over and over and over again especially early on when it's not rapid fire it's not conversational what they don't realize is that each and every word is planned yeah um, yeah. it, it, they really do say the same thing every time it, they do that scene. It's gotta be, you can't paraphrase because if you paraphrase, I'm keying on a certain word to come from another actor up there. And if it's just tilted just a little bit, it's going to throw the entire thing off. Well, and of course, um, the, the writer chooses certain words to foreshadow things yeah. that are going later on. So if you don't make a, you know, if you don't comment just right early on, it can throw off the references that future lines refer back to. One more train wreck save, and I don't know if you were involved in this, or this if this was all Matt, but I, I think you were stage manager for A Few Good Men. Yes. And Val touched on it. She said there was one time where Matt kind of got off script. What do you remember about uh, about that one? Um, I, I do remember him being off script. Um, there was nothing. I, I just remember, you know, exclaiming in the headset, um, privately to lights and sound that, oh my gosh, he's off script. Let's hope he um, somehow manages to get it back around. And about that time, he, you know, he kind of changed his words and, and got back to back on script. So um, actually the funniest moment I had with Matt was also in Odd Couple. He uh, 
goes to the window uh, because he needs fresh air. <laughs> he thinks that he's going to, you know, that he's going to get sick. Yeah. And so he goes to the window in the apartment to get some fresh air. And um, he opens up the window and ends up bellowing out of it. You'd have to see the show to see exactly what he was <sighs> doing. Yeah. He, he makes a very funny sound. <laughs> um, what he didn't realize was that um, he had a lemon drop in his mouth that he needed to get out of his mouth while his face was off stage. What he didn't know is that back behind the window backstage, there was a little paparazzi back there. <laughs> um, the stage manager was back there, um, well, taking pictures uh. of him putting his head out the window. So he puts his head out the window and makes his bellowing sound and then spits <laughs> the, the lodgin out right as I'm taking pictures and then looks up and sees that he almost hit us with it. Oh no. Um, and of course he, we know we all just die laughing, but he's got to put his face back on stage and, you know, cause it's a very serious moment um, for Felix. He's just really anxious <laughs> and, and it just attested to um, what a good actor um, that Matt is. But, um, and then of course he sticks his head back out the window and glares at us as he makes the, the next line. Um, and, but we had a lot of fun, um, with a little paparazzi during, um, during that show. So <laughs> I think I've seen that photo somewhere or another, um, right behind you to the left is the prop table. Usually. How frustrating is it when props aren't where they're supposed to be, Chris? Uh, it's very frustrating. <laughs> um, she just loves it when that happens. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, my job as, as stage manager seems that, um, you know, it means that I've got to make sure that the props um, are in their place so that the actors can come and get them when they need them. And in some cases, I get them to hand them to them mm -hmm. or, or make sure somebody else is, is available to hand them to them. I think about Beverly Hillbillies. Joy Renee walks off stage right and in the middle of, of the scene to grab what's supposed to be a fur mm -hmm. that she then realizes is a dead animal. Oh. She just didn't have time to get to the prop table and back because it was that quick. Yeah. And so I literally had to have it in hand and ready to go. So as soon as she got behind um, the proscenium, you know, she could grab it and, and really turn on her heel and walk back on. Mm. And uh, then there's also people there <laughs> um, who sometimes get in the way. <laughs> so, like the guy who liked to stand right behind you. And I, no, I tried to be out of the way. No, you no, <laughs> I, you know, and I always encourage the cast, you know, if you want to be on stage and see, you know, see part of the production from the wings, mm -hmm. um, just be prepared to either move or to hold on to something or move a piece of scenery or do something. Uh, because actors, uh, at least in our community theater, they don't just act. They also move scenery. They help yes. with props. They, um, they do a lot of things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the most emotional scene you've ever seen or been a part of on the lyric stage, anything come to mind? Oh, it would have to be a few good men. Yeah. Um, you know, with the, did you get goosebumps um, every night? Yes. And I think I took pictures every night, um, from my vantage point. Cause I had a very good seat mm -hmm. for, um, the famous, uh, 
speech. Not as good as mine. Um, but. Pr- no, not as good as yours. <laughs> but then I didn't have to restrain him either. <laughs> so, um, at least not physically. But, um, I, you know, um, that one in particular, um, there were certainly fun moments that on headset to lights and sound, I'd be, okay, here comes the moment. Come on. Here comes the pin drop. Let's see what the audience does this time. Um, You know, are they going to laugh? Are they going to cry? Is it just going to be silent? What's going to happen? That was, that was my next question. The funniest moment you've ever seen. Oh, funniest moment. Um, well, <laughs> Jimmy, you got an answer for that? The funniest I just think all of Tuna Christmas was the funniest show I've seen them do. <laughs> and there's so many funny parts to that whole show and the different well, characters. And and technically it was an interesting one because um they had six different Christmas trees mm-hmm. that all had to be on stage one at a time at a different time. And, um, you know, you know what it's like to wrestle a Christmas tree for Christmas in your home. You got six of them. And you've got six different ones. One and of they, them was a monster. Hmm. Uh, yes, um, <laughs> it was. And there's a lot of little moments that as a stage manager you're, or an actor, you see the production so many times that you see how it's morphed into the funny moment that it is. Hmm. Uh, because originally when they first read the script the first time it was not funny right um so um we do a a little bit of practical joking but not anything that will change the experience of the audience right yeah um we're very careful about that Mm. we talked about the most emotional things that we've seen on stage talk about does a stage manager experience the same emotions of loss when a show is has come to an end and you start to wonder what am I going to do with my time yes and no yeah Um, I'm always sad to see a show finish because I've devoted you know so much time to it um, that I don't know what I'm going to do with my evenings anymore and yet usually by the time we get to the end of the last show it's time to put it to bed yeah it's time to let it go Jimmy how is it seeing your sets get demolished it, it always amazes me and beverly hillbillies was the worst one because that was my first big one right and we'd spent a month and a half building that thing and it was torn down in two hours <laughs> and it was like you know i just kind of sat there with my mouth on the ground but after that it's just part of it and like like chris said by the time we get to the end of the run it's it's time yeah let's get done and get ready to start on the next one i'll experience that little melancholy feeling for about two days and then about the third day, I'm like, thank God I don't have to go to rehearsal tonight. I've got time. <laughs> but you do. You do feel that for a while. And um, for the same reason, you got involved in the lyric. Now, you've just got so many of these new friends, you know. You all alluded to this in a previous podcast that it, that we're family. And during that show, we are, which means we have all the ups and downs that a family does. <laughs> you have the moments that are a little tense and everybody, um, you know, there's a few people that are squabbling. And then you have um, those moments of, you know, somebody comes into a rehearsal and, and something, you know, maybe they've gotten some bad news mm. um, and, and you share it and, and lift them up. And then there's also the moments where people have, you know, they have a breakthrough on maybe their character or a scene or or it gets twisted in just such a way that the whole the whole cast laughs mm. um, you know together mm-hmm. and and certainly there's a lot of joy um, so it truly is a family 
I've only lived in Brownwood for eight years, and I have some of the best friends ever. Brownwood has given me so many opportunities because it is a small town that it would have been so much harder to seek and find in a large metroplex. Jimmy, talk about, because I know you guys go to the theater in Granbury. Yes. And I guess you're members uh, there. We have season tickets, too. Yeah. Just kind of compare the Granbury experience to the, to the Brownwood experience. They're very similar and different at the same time. They're, they're similar being a, a small theater. Uh, Seating-wise, it's seating small? Seating-wise, they're actually a little smaller than we are. Okay. Their stage is a little bit bigger, especially their wings, which I, every time I go, I, I kind of drool over the size <laughs> of their wings and the speed of their fly system and stuff like that. But the, the big difference where they've got us beat is they've got so much money. Yeah. And they're, a lot of their actors are paid, a lot of, lot of paid staff, uh, stage people and costumers and choreographers and sound people and all that are actually paid positions. I would put the quality of our shows up against Granberry any day. Wow. I think we have just as good a quality. We, we can't maintain and do the number of shows. Right. But as far as the quality of the productions, I think... I will have to say that um, I was in our production of Wizard of Oz, mm-hmm. and then I went and saw Granberry's version, and they did very, very well, and they technically had some things, some things they could do that we could not. Yes. Um, so technically, they definitely, you know, were, were beyond us. Mm-hmm. And yet, when I looked at the actors, although the actors did very, very well, I just remember the main characters of our version of Wizard of Oz being so much better. That um, makes me feel good, Chris, because I was the father of one of those characters. Yeah, so. <laughs> um, but, um, I mean, it's not that it was a bad production. It wasn't Yeah. Um, by any means. They, they are always stellar. But um, I just felt like the character development um, or just the particular way each actor, mm-hmm. uh, of the, at least of the four main characters, that they were more believable. Um. You're an audiologist, Chris, correct? Correct. Means I test hearing and I fit hearing aids. Do you cry like I do at all of those videos of a child hearing? I'm going to cry talking about it, (laughs) of a child hearing for the very first time. Um, And have you got to experience that? I have experienced it. Oh, my gosh. Um, And I've experienced it more um, with adults than I have with children. Mm. But I definitely um, have had those moments where, you know, you give somebody back the gift of hearing and they are so overwhelmed mm. in the moment. See, I'm getting misty over here already. <laughs> uh, to, realize, to realize what all they've missed. It's an invisible uh, disability and it is one that is usually gradual. So people don't realize, at least uh, as they get older, they don't realize how much compensation that their family and friends are making for them. Mm. Uh, and sometimes they do know. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, I decided on my career when I was 11 years old. Wow. Um, so do, do you so, get emotional see, hearing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I bet. Oh, yeah. We've been talking now for over an hour. Now I may edit this down just a little bit, but we've come to that part of the show, Chris. And Jimmy, you're bailing out, correct? Exactly. So, Chris, it's going to be you and I, I assume. Yeah. Now, I've got quite a few scripts over here. I've got MASH. I've got the Beverly Hillbillies. I actually have um, the Odd Couple, Get Smart. I've got some Beulah Bell, Christmas Bells. 
Um, and I think you brought some scripts with you, too. I did. Do you think that you and I might can settle on a dramatic reading, maybe together? I'm sure we can. Okay. Um, originally, I actually thought about doing something from Wizard of Oz. Mm, I could um, we can do that. <laughs> I thought about um, when Dorothy gives her little monologue about what home means as as the wizard is getting ready to take off in the balloon mm -hmm. about, you know, there's no place like home. Oh, yeah. Um, but then I was like, oh, well, you know, maybe not that. Uh -huh. What else is there? Um, You've got a nine to five script there as I well, do. I see. I do. So I kind of thought maybe there was just a one little real quick excerpt of nine to five that we might do that at least um, being stage manager was a moment that I always laughed very heartily watching it every time. It is a moment where Dora Lee really stands up to her boss. He is very chauvinistic, and leading into this scene, he has not picked Violet, one of the other major characters, to move up in the company. He picked a man that she had trained, that she is uh, more competent than, mm -hmm. and he picked the guy because it's a guy. Yes. And he's told her that. And um, Dora Lee, the Dolly Parton character, walks in and realizes that there's been some assumptions on her relationship with their boss. Ah. That the boss has created and perpetuated with everyone else in the office mm -hmm. except for her. She's kind of like the brunt of the joke. I see. So he wants everybody to think that they've got a little something going on. Promotion want to move ahead, but the boss won't seem to let me. You ready? What? Uh, now, don't get upset. You've been telling everyone I'm sleeping with you? That explains why everyone's treating me like some dime store floozy. They, they think I'm banging the boss. Uh, now, wait a minute. I, I, I can explain. And you love it, don't you? It gives you some sort of cheap thrill like knocking over pencils and picking up papers. Oh, you're getting all excited. I put up with your grabbing and chasing me around the desk because I need this job. But this is the last straw. I've got a gun out there in my purse, and up to now, I've been forgiven and forgetting because that's the way I was brought up. But I swear, if you say another word to me, I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'll change you from a rooster to a hen in one shot. <laughs> and scene. Go get him, Dolly. <laughs> Oh, that was great. Thanks for playing along. That's a perfect scene there, too. Well, and, and I will have to say, in that scene, yeah. um, oftentimes backstage, because, again, I'm reading the script as each production goes, I would mouth that part <laughs> uh, because I knew what was coming and the visual effects that were done in the scene. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and that's, that is one of the fun things about being stage manager is that I get to be any part and every part every time. Whether it's to pretend to be singing the lead song and, you know, of that poignant moment or, or whether it's a, a moment like this where you know it's going to end in some laughter. And just talking about that scene, how David Quinlan and Jennifer Reeves just nailed that every very, night. It was hilarious. So. It was hilarious. 
the other fun part in that show was that I actually got to fly David uh, Hart. <laughs> I forgot that. Uh, yeah, because you know, they suspended him above the, the that's bed. That's right, yeah. with with a garage door opening system. That's right. And, um, and what that really meant was that uh, I got to use the fly system and, and bring him up and, and back down again. And certainly had some tense moments, mm. um, getting him strapped up in time and safely, but... You know, it's all fun. I love those kind of technical challenges. All right. Let's close this thing out, Chris and Jimmy. Thank you guys for being a part of this. I swear you were reading my notes over here, Chris, because I have this closing quote. And I think you said almost the exact same thing a few minutes ago, but I'm still going to close with it. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. Community theater is magical. A bunch of folks with the same passion coming together to share their talents for no pay is a true labor of love. It brings culture into areas that otherwise may not have the means to experience live performance. How special is that in Brownwood, Texas? Uh, It's extraordinary. Jimmy, how does that make you feel when afterwards people are commenting and they say, I can't believe there's something like this in Brownwood, Texas. People that come to the shows are generally so appreciative of the work we do, and, and it makes me feel good. Oh, I love that set, or mm. what about this scene or that? Or uh, Those people need to go out and bring their friends to the theater and let them experience the same thing. Absolutely. And uh, I know the Lyric family appreciates the work uh, for both of you guys. It, it was not a surprise to have both Matthew and Val mentioned. Now, don't forget about the people that are behind the scenes because they're the ones that really make it work. So both of them knew that as well. So I'm just so glad that you guys were the first ones. Getting to know you, getting to know all about you. Thanks for listening to Waxing Lyrically, sponsored by the one and only Teddy's Brewhouse in downtown Brownwood. If you found value in the show, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. This is your announcer, Kurt Schneider, inviting you to increase your culture with the lively arts. See you next time. Getting to know you, getting to feel free and easy. When I am with you, getting to know what to say. Haven't you noticed? Suddenly I'm bright and green